Alright, uh, let's do this one more time. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. My name is Miles Morales. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You're listening to the number one podcast in education across the Spider-Verse, Steambox. Are those my Jordans? Hi, this is Roberto. You are back with another, I'm going to say Young Voices podcast. We're back with another Young Voices podcast. We got Young Voices in the house. Young Voices, please say what's up to the world. Also with us, we have former RWA champion and state house representative and any other like monikers? Spun. And Spider-Man's About (laughs) Weekends, David Morales. David Morales, welcome. Welcome, y'all. How we doing? How we doing this afternoon? Good. But one's pretty good. We're doing all right. Um, we were heartbroken because it was not you, uh, but a, a real evil state representative invited us to a fun event. And when we were on our way and in the car, <laughs> this real evil, not you, this guy was a douchebag. Right? And he said, oh, yeah, you didn't get the memo. We, can, we canceled. We canceled the event. So. Man, I had to buy tacos for my students, man. But not you, but no. Uh, that was the commissioner. A real, it was the commissioner. That was the commissioner, David Brown. It was the commissioner. Part-time persona, play a bad guy when we get in the ring. Kids yell at me, throw things at me. It's a good time. Sometimes I get punched in the face. I'm, is, is anybody here a wrestling fan? Is it just me? I'm going to ask, I, I've got a, a quick wrestling question, uh, two-parter kind of thing. And, and then I'm going to move on because we've got some young voices business to attend to. I'm an AEW kind of fan, but I'm not a tribal. I do not like tribalism. Tribalism is, I prefer Coca-Cola, but tribalism are those people that are like, oh no, Pepsi all day, Coke is stupid. People are the, tribal. tribalism is people who say, PlayStation is good if you have an Xbox, you're dumb. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, like that's tribalism, right? I'm not tribalist, but I definitely prefer AEW. Are you still a fan of wrestling beyond your organization? Oh, absolutely. The beauty about professional wrestling, though, it is a mix of drama, theater, acting, comedy, and athleticism all wrapped into one. So I love all types of wrestling. Tell our audience about RWA and how you became the commissioner. Yeah, so we are the Renegade Wrestling Alliance, a local independent wrestling promotion located predominantly out of Providence. They've been around since 2007, and I got my start back in the fall of 2021, where I came in as a good guy, you know, introduced everyone, shook some hands, kissed some babies. I was a state representative, and over time, the fans just started booing me. I don't know if it was because I was a politician, and they assumed I was crooked and evil by default. So eventually, I was like, you know what? If y'all want to call me names, I'll give you a reason to. So I circulated fake petition. That's why you should always read petitions when people ask you to sign. I circulated a fake petition that gave me ownership and made me the commissioner of the Renegade Wrestling Alliance. So ever since then, I have ruled with an iron fist. Most recently, I was RWA hype champion for nearly 200 days. And like I said before, I get booed a lot. And it's a lot of fun. So I hope you all can make it sometime. One thing I always emphasize, we are affordable, family-friendly entertainment. $5 for kids, $10 for adults. But if you are Young Voices, if you are Steambox, you have lifetime free entry. Our, our audience is from around the world. Where can our audience find out more? Where should they go? Yeah, you could go to rwaforever.com. That is our official website. And we are also on all social media pages between Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay, so before 
before we kick it off to serious business, I've got to ask you then, all time, right? Mount Rushmore. You, how many faces on Mount Rushmore? People always say five. It is, it is indeed four. Yeah. The Mount Rushmore of all-time wrestling. Who belongs on that Mount Rushmore? Without question, The Undertaker. Who knows who The Undertaker is? Okay. You don't know wrestling, but you, do you know The Undertaker? No. Okay. Interesting. Stone Cold Steam that life. But are we, are we saying wrestlers all together or the higher-ups? Higher-ups. Oh, they still don't together, like this figure. But arguably, right? He's one of the promoters. Well, definitely still. Yeah. And yeah, he's wrestled. Yeah, he's good. He's got it in there. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Truly. Last Shatter. Triple H. Right, we already got like three right there. And then I'm a little biased, so I'm going to have to say Rey Mysterio. Okay. He's a Latino for us. Short Kings, five foot six, former world champion, high flyer. Doesn't get any better than that. Any filler. And he's still wrestling. There's a goal. Bonus points right there. And he's still going. I'm watching this dude. So Rey Mysterio, people pooed the hell out of his son because his son just skipped to WWE, right? Skipped like the developmental stuff, all that stuff. Skipped to WWE. So people are booing the hell out of him because they feel like it's nepotism. Nobody likes nepotism, right? Nah, dude. This dude's there just because his dad is special and blah, blah, blah. So they boo the hell out of him. But he's become like a, such an amazing heel. A heel is a bad guy. He's been dope to watch. Who's your favorite to watch right now? Oh, Dominic Mysterio is stated because when he gets on a microphone, you can't hear him speak because he gets booed so loudly. Now, part of it is they're definitely pumping in sounds, right? Like I, I'm, an, I'm a sound engineer, so I could tell, like I could hear the beginning of the loop and the end of the loop. So they're definitely pumping in sounds, but it is, it, it's also real. It's also real. Oh, Bro. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley. They call Because I'm gay, I love her. They call her. <laughs> that is true. They call Rhea mommy. Yes. yes. The Claire community supports Rhea Ripley. Yes. Rhea is a, Rhea's a baddie. There's her Japanese, uh, Osaka. Is that your Japanese? Yeah, Asuka. Oh, you're not ready for Asuka. Oh my God. Yeah. Her, her move. Oh my God. I love it. Every time I, every time I look at her videos, I'm like, I like rewatch it for hours. It's so good. This is why I tell you, it's wrestling's a theater. Yes. Yeah, it is a theater. Yes. I saw one time in NXT, I saw uh, Candice, who used to, she used to like, she, it, it was her and somebody else who used to come out together. Candice was really, she'd dance a lot and stuff like that, but she was a really thin wrestler. And Candice went to slap Asuka in the face. And in one motion, as Candice's arm came this way, Asuka had, in that time, jumped up, wrapped her body around Candice's uh, arm, and put her in the Asuka lock, like a, like a submission loop. In the time that it takes you to smack somebody, this she was already anaconded around her. It was wild. Asuka's, Asuka's bad. I'm loving wrestling. It's a good time to be a wrestling fan. So I can talk about wrestling all day, and I won't. I'm going to pass the mic. What questions do we have for state representative and RWA commissioner David Morales? What do you guys look for when someone is giving a testimony? So I will speak for myself, but this does apply for a lot of representatives. Lived experience. If you can talk about two things, if it's a bill or a law that you are trying to pass that amends existing laws because the existing law is harmful, isn't doing enough to support our community, if you can talk about this is why this law as it stands doesn't go far enough, or if you're advocating for a new idea or a new program, you can talk about this is the difference that this new law would make on my life. In other words, the minimum wage is an example I always use. 
for a long time, and even today, our workers are making well below a living wage, right? So the minimum wage of Rhode Island is, can someone answer that for me? 13, 15. Close, 14. Just, just went up, right? I'm 14 as of January. Below minimum wage then. Yes, because wow. you are, right, considered a minor who is allowed to be preempted as a part of that law. But that's a good example, right? If we had a bill and a potential law that says, hey, even if you're under 18, you should still be paid the state minimum wage. If we had you go up there and testify and share, hey, I'm a worker, I'm a student, I have a lot of responsibilities, yet my employer pays me less than 14 an hour, and I have responsibilities I have to account for, that goes a long way. Because I am seeing you come to the state house, talking about your experience and sharing why this new law, if implemented, would be valuable or important. So I would definitely say without question, lived experience goes a long way. Because more often than not, and I'll get to this in a second as well, well, the people who come out to speak on legislation are usually individuals who are wealthy lawyers and are contracted by either companies in order to speak on their behalf. But they don't always relate to the issues our communities are facing. But you did, right? Which is why you want to get involved. Please do. Some representatives already make their mind before people testify, or are they actually moved to buy the testification? Where? Testimony. That's an incredible question. So do some legislators come in with the preempted notion or idea of how they're going to vote on a bill? I would say yes. There, there are some folks who feel very strongly about a particular issue. And no matter how compelling one's testimony may be, they are firm in that belief. But I would say that is being reduced. I, I feel as if we were talking about this 10 years ago, I would tell you a vast majority of legislators would think that way. I think we have a new wave of legislators younger folks, but also folks who have been there in a while, who've been there for a while that are now adapting and realizing, all right, I can't just stick to my ways and say, this is the way I'm going to approach it. Especially when it comes to issues where they're hearing directly from their constituents, right? Like we've talked about legislation to reform what it looks like to have SROs on campus, for example, right? And we've had some youth outside of like the urban core come out and testify. We've had views from like North Smithfield come out and testify before talk about this is why it's important that we remove SROs. And sure enough, you have some legislators who otherwise would think one way or seeing people in their own community saying, oh, we should make this reform. So without question, I think it does matter. It's and wild though, some of these people aren't even representing their constituents, they're representing themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, there is somebody who I can think of who's a principal who leads the school in that manner where they utilize the SROs in the school. And that person ran for office and is now, I believe a state rep also, and is now using that space to advocate for SROs in schools in, a, in such a really self-serving way, which is wild because he's supposed to represent not only, not only the, the community, but also the school as well as a, as a principal what do you what do you think about people who like what do you think about the opportunity to be self-serving once you're in that role? I mean, I think it's very easy for one to fall into that trap, unfortunately. And that's just the mechanisms of being in a part-time legislature where we're only in there for six months. It's a part-time role. A lot of folks just see this as like a side gig. I mean, I'm always willing to pour their own level of like advocacy or engage your constituents. If it was up to me, I, I would argue that every legislator, every lawmaker from the local level and state level should be required to host a monthly community. And you have some folks that have hosted community meetings in a very long time, if ever. 
And I think that's problematic because you're not keeping your communities up to date with what is actively happening at the state house. And that gives you an opportunity to focus on your priorities as opposed to the priorities of your neighbors, the same people who elected you. Now, in this room, we know what's up. But some of our audience at home does not know. Do you hold any of these meetings dressed as Spider-Man? <laughs> I host story times dressed as Spider-Man, but I have yet to host a community meeting dressed up as Spider-Man. <laughs> I am working on it. This is a this is an honest to goodness. This is like a true sort. Like Spider-Man is the thing that I've been most passionate about for my entire life. And I'm sensing that you're sharing some of this. So it's hard. Imagine growing up passionate about something. But now, so you're thinking, uh, Peter Parker, number one, dope Spider-Man. Like it's dope, can never be replaced. <laughs> but but now Miles is here. <laughs> now Miles is here. Is is Miles number Miles is number one for me. It it, oh, yes. I, it despite what I might have said for my entire life, Miles Morales is number one for me. I know you share a name with Miles Morales. But uh, is Miles Morales number one Spider-Man? Absolutely. That's representation right there, baby. That's what it's about. And the fact that we have a Spider-Man who gets cursed at in Spanish now is beautiful. Yep. That's, that's what I needed in my life. Yo, he snaps in Puerto Rican. That's what I was about to say. That's exactly Gonzalez to Gonzalez. That's what we about to say. She snapped in Boricua. She snapped in Boricua. You saw the little flag come up. It was so... Did anybody else... Is it? Is it just us? Did anybody else like like really get like tingly when our spider senses were tingling when they were using Spanish in there. And here's the other thing. In the Spider-Verse movie, while they were speaking Spanish, no subtitles. Mm -hmm. Por carajo, go to hell. <laughs> if you don't know what we're saying, who gives Too bad. It's, it's the, we're saying what we're saying. So good, so good, I got chills. Thank you for that. What's your question for State Rep Morales? Oh, what is similar lives for us? to be able to testify in front of all the people. Advice to testify. I would definitely say be able to practice amongst each other, right? Because I think the more you have an opportunity to practice and get through your talking points, what it is that you want to emphasize, you'll feel less nervous going up there. Because it could be a very tendained space. And I know for some of us who went there last year, you saw a lot of faces that did not look like you. You saw folks that were triple, quadruple your age. It wasn't fun. And I totally understand that. But as you probably noticed as well, your second or third time going up there, it got a little easier. And a large part of that is the preparation that we can do together here in this space as a community before we go out to the state house. And it looks like practicing at times. I have now been a state legislator for four years. It's hard to believe, but it's now my fourth year. But I remember my first year. Woof, I would prepare like five, six pages at a time as to what I was going to say. Whereas now I can walk into a room and speak off the cuff passionately having the facts ready to go. But again, that took me more than three years to get there. Was part of it imposter syndrome? Absolutely. I think, that, I think a large part of that. I was first elected when I was 21. Do we know what imposter syndrome is? Okay, good. So, oh. I don't. Yeah, so imposter syndrome is essentially the self-belief that you don't belong in a specific, in a certain space because you're not quote-unquote qualified enough. Whether that's other people causing you to feel like that, your own self-doubts, Imposter syndrome can come out in a lot of different environments, whether it's going to college, whether it's being in a new workspace, or in this case, being at the state house. It, it, it happens. It's something that, um, judging by demographics, we at this table are all going to experience at some point. And I, that's why I think it's so important. That's why I wanted to pause on that. Did you have, did you have? I have a question. Um, so 
um, kind of like relating a little bit to youth testifying at the state house. Something that I have noticed um, when I was a youth at Young Voices, and I was a youth for about four years at Young Voices, and then I transitioned to a program coordinator. I noticed that sometimes when we walked into the space with a group of young people, um, suddenly the schedule would change. Suddenly we're doing um, finances first, and then it would take us hours and hours and hours to testify. Most kids would need to go home because they're school the next day. Exactly. We can't be here until 10 p.m. with people who have no other lives. Um, so what is being done at the state house, if anything, to support um, the equity issue that is that when we are talking about issues that concern young people, young people can't be present because they make them wait hours and hours until it's nighttime. So we have that issue a lot the last two years, and it's been unfortunate to see because we will see a group of 12 plus youth come in, two hours go by, more than half of them are gone. And I do think that's by design to a large extent. So what we need to work on, and I've been having a lot of conversations with committee chairs. Committee chairs are the ones that have the discretion as to how committees are ran. So there is no technical prestige saying what bills you need to go with first. There's no technical procedure telling you who is allowed to speak this. All of that is the discretion of committee chairs. Now, the next question you have to ask yourselves is, who are the committee chairs? More often than not, again, committee chairs don't necessarily reflect our more diverse communities, our younger populations. And so they may allow a lobbyist that they've known for years skip the line and speak first. Then we'll come back to that bill that the youth are concerned about. And it's, it's frustrating. I've had those conversations with chair people. Say so we need to be a lot more thoughtful and intentional about ensuring that the 12 plus youth that took the time to be here will have responsibilities at home and need to get home at a specific time, actually have a chance to speak. Otherwise, we're just shutting them down. And I refuse to believe that, oh, just send a letter in and we'll, we'll make sure we read it and take care of it. I refuse to believe that that's the only tool of advocacy we should be forcing young people to use. You should deserve that right to be able to go up to the committee and be able to speak same way that a contracted lobbyist is allowed to. Thank you for that question. I just want to uh, shout out to Codex Prime. Carl Bird just sent in a question. He wants to know when he can get in the ring with you. <laughs> Please. You guys remember Carl Bird? Last month, you interviewed Carl Bird. DJ Mr. Bird. Oh. There you go. Hey. Oh, oh, DJ. Yep, got it. So I'm excited to share that this Saturday night, at Our Lady of the Holy Rosary in Providence, I will be in tag team action. Laurel, this is a message to you. If you want to catch these hands after my tag team match, after I'm victorious, you're more than welcome to. Damn. But until then, I'm focused on that match. Whoa, the, wow, the call out. The call out has been had. All right, next question for State Rep Morales. Ron, why did you want to become a house representative? I love that question. And I will share what I shared earlier, lived experience. So I am a very proud product of having been raised by a single mom who depended heavily on food stamps, Medicaid, and public housing. Those are clearly critical investments that did a lot for me and my older sister, without question. We would not have an opportunity to pursue higher education. We would not have the opportunity to be adequately housed and fed had it not been for those programs. And so my inspiration in terms of being a legislator is to advocate on behalf of working people and families, specifically people like my mom who depend on these programs 
because it makes a difference whether or not they're invested in or funded at the state level. And for a long time, especially within this state, when you look back the last 15 years, instead of expanding public health and public benefit programs, they've been attacked in terms of social and human services, because that's the first thing to get cut within a budget. Whereas we increase corporate welfare deals and give out tax breaks to wealthy developers who can afford to give more to the community. So for me, my main inspiration was making sure that we were advocating for those types of programs. So how do you feel what do you have to say for when they say they offer those programs to people in need, but then require stuff like um, checks? Yeah, it becomes difficult. And various programs are very stressful to even qualify for it, to qualify for and to apply for it. Uh, you have to meet a certain income requirement. You have to submit pay stubs. You have to give copies of your lease, copies of your bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes very stressful. Which doesn't make sense because we're there because we need the help because my mom can't find a job, but then you're requiring all a check. Information. Exactly. So what the issue becomes there, it is from a technical standpoint, a lot of that's managed by the federal government. So there's limitations as to what the state can do. But what the state can do is ensure that we have enough social workers around the state to ensure that if someone is able and willing and ready to work, that they're able to secure decent employment and be able to apply for those benefits with assistance all the way through. We have so much money that is left on the table related to utility relief. To an extent, there was some rent relief that was left on the table. We looked at SNAP utilization. It's lower than it should be because people get lost in the process and it is not easy. And then we pay social workers less than 20 bucks an hour to help people out who are in these stressful environments. There was something that's all right. There was something new for this year regarding rent. Uh, what was, do you know what I'm talking about? There was, yeah, right. The Say it again. The, oh, the application fee no longer is required. Um, I don't know exactly which, like who, like if it's private developers or. No, it's all, all development. So it just says an FYI to everyone, to our listeners at home. If you are applying for an apartment, you no longer have to pay an application fee just to apply. I say that because it is important to know your rights because there are times where you pass these laws and we feel really good about it, and yet we saw people who break the law and get away with it. So it's important that you know your rights, and if you are in a situation where you are still being charged an application fee, you can always feel free to reach out to myself. I'll share more information as well. Is that him? I'll be happy. Yes, it went into effect January 1st. So, so when, it comes to, when it comes to rent in Rhode Island... After the lease, the um, the owner can raise the next lease to infinite amount. There's no cap on the amount that your rent can be increased between this lease and the next lease. Is there anything like what can be? It seems like so many things benefit the owners. Another example is if when I think about the Superman building and why nothing has happened there, I think about rules that make it beneficial for an owner to not make it cost affordable because they can they can get all kinds of tax breaks and stuff and i know right now i'm partially talking out of my ass because i don't know the specifics but there are tax breaks and incentives for them to not rent it out at the current rate that can that is affordable you know what i mean so what can be done moving forward to protect renters so that affordable housing actually exists and we don't make a new building and say this is going to be affordable housing affordable all you need is a median income of like one hundred twenty thousand oh. dollars, right like 
Like, that's what they do. They'll be like, this building is going to be for affordable housing. And they'll say, that's why. So what can be done to protect renters moving forward? Is there something? Is there a pathway? Absolutely. So the problem with a lot of these issues in our communities is that the policy solutions aren't that complicated. What makes it complicated are the politics and the business interests that exist that try to stop any legislative efforts that would actually support people in the community. And I'll give you an example. We've had some cities and towns across the country that have been implementing what is called rent stabilization, which essentially says you cannot increase rent by more than 4% a year, 5% a year. Every time we've ever introduced that here in Rhode Island, it essentially just dies in committee because we have a real estate lobbyists, we have the landlord pack and other special interests who are only focused on profit will come out and say, this is going to destroy the housing market. We, these legislators clearly don't understand the economy and how it works. So they'll come out with all of these scary talking points, not to mention these are the same people who are donating a lot of money to politicians and will tell them, hey, this is a really bad idea. You shouldn't do it. And then we don't end up doing it. And then as a result, you see rents continue to increase. We continue to see an increased rate of people who are, un are unhoused. And that's why I continue to say these issues are not that complicated at face value. It's just a politics that stops a lot of these good measures from going into it's not, it feels kind of gross. It feels gross. Uh, next, next question for Representative Morales. Okay. Um, I'm going to use this to someone for a little bit, but what's for the flower? And if you know it's Mimi, can we tell us? <laughs> oh, what was the question, Judge? What's for your flower? Oh, well, I'm going to cop out with an easy answer. Oh, I was going to count that as a flower. No, 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 no. So I'll either say rose or a sunflower. As to what it means, I don't know, but I do know my sign is Virgo for what that's worth. What? <laughs> what's, what's your favorite flower? Mine? Um, ooh, okay. I love, I love dandelions. I love clover, bro. Underrated. Did you know that dandelions actually have medicinal properties? Medicinal properties. Now, now we know. Dandelions. Excellent. And oh. only parts of them are edible. So if you see them, you can eat them. Do you eat dandelions? <laughs> okay, uh, before, so I've, I've got somebody exiting, but I want to make sure you get your question in. So question for Representative Morales before you go. Um, what is, what are you guys doing about the schools that are shutting down and like not being reconstructed and that are piling up in the other schools? Like my high school, we're sharing it with two other high schools right now. Mm -hmm. With, um, trying to think, we're sharing this with Central High School. And um, another one, I forgot the newcomer covers again. The newcomers academy, and there's a lot of buildings that are like shut down that haven't been re rebuilt, and I know there's a lot of other schools like that too. Yeah, and that's an issue that continues to happen, and there's a large part of it. A lot of responsibility falls both on city and the state department of education. As for what we can do in the legislature, I think we immediately need to repurpose any vacant buildings for the purpose of ensuring that we actually have students in those classrooms and that the buildings actually kept up to date. The excuse that's often used is, oh, we have to shut down these buildings because they're unsafe for our students, but it's okay if we park, pack them like sardines in this other school. And that has to do with the lack of investment. All of a sudden, we are realizing, oh, there's a leaking roof. We have lead pipes in this school. Why hasn't anyone done anything about this? And I say that rhetorically because the people who haven't been doing this are the ones in charge, ironically. And now what they're doing instead is essentially kicking out the students from their old schools, packing them into another high school. They might make renovations to that building that they were saying was really bad before and then lease it out to a charter school. 
And it's been a cycle that we're continuously seeing over the last couple of years that has just become a playbook. And we need to put in state legislation prohibiting that type of action, but instead be more proactive on making sure that the buildings don't deteriorate to that extent first. Because I get it, it's frustrating and scary, especially with parents, because then you got to figure out what does the bus route look like next year? Or what classroom is my student going to be in? Are they still going to be with their friends from the previous year? It creates so much instability that there should be a better process in place. It's like, and even in our school, like there's a lot of problems that happening now that didn't happen last year. Like I know the Newcomers Academy, there's been a lot of incidents where the ambulance have come in for their students because of stuff that, that's been going on with, the, with their side, at least. Mm-hmm. And they'll take a lot of our classes. Like I'm in culinary, I'm in culinary arts. So basically it's like, Congratulations. That actually sounds very Thank nice. You. <laughs> I go to a technical school. That's I've, kind of a lot of I did the math and the, I did deuce. I did the <laughs> I did the Sherlocking during the while you were talking. I figured it out. Yeah. So um our like my tech, we have classrooms. Um, pastry also has their own classrooms. We are we get a lot of classrooms taken away from us and even like our even our sports team, they get their um their whole area removed from them because they have to make classrooms, they have to make a nurse's office, they have to make a whole separate section for the Newcomers Academy. So we're all like cramped up and then we're also sharing it with Central. So we have to make room for them too, as like, you know, sports, a gym, et cetera, et cetera. Now, like, yeah, what does that say to the students, right? It's, Do we value you enough for you to have your own campus in space? Exactly. And the answer there is no, which is why I get really frustrated that they just kick students out of the old buildings, don't even bother renovating them until they realize, oh, we can just flip this to a charter school afterwards. Instead, we should just be making those investments immediately. Because I'm glad we have a new Congress Academy. Yeah. Very, very pleased that we do. But the issue is, why don't they get their own space? Why do we not value them enough to be able to identify the eight-get amount of property across the city and say, this is where we're going to establish a newcomer's cabin and make sure it's of quality. So I, I share those frustrations. I'm sorry about to go through that every day because I can only imagine how like your classmates also feel though, right? Because like, again, Cause as a student, what does that say? It changes our whole schedule. Like even our lunch schedule got reducted a lot. Like it went from like maybe 25 minutes down to like 15 minutes. And you know, people are coming from upstairs all the way downstairs. And then there's a whole line for the kids because they're trying to get us all into three lunches. And there's not just not enough room. And then even the lunch ladies, I feel bad for them too. They gotta they gotta stay there for four lunches now instead of like just two or three. So now it's just like it's everybody's a little frustrated with that. For our audience, um, we our audience is all around the world. I, it always surprises me. Uh, shout, shout out to Ireland. I don't know why. And they say, <laughs> what they do, right? <laughs> Except not Canada. To hell with Canada. Um, <laughs> huh? But they might they might not understand what we're talking about when we're talking about schools. So to your point, I want to say. That in Gilbert Stewart, when I walk in Gilbert Stewart to go work in Gilbert Stewart, oh, I get I sick as soon as I, as soon as I walk into school, I'm sick, yeah, right? I'm sick immediately. So we have some schools that are like literally toxic. Torium is falling apart. I used to go there. I Yes, yes. Some schools are... You called me a hobo earlier, so I'm, I'm going to... I was just talking about the school is bad. I know what you're talking about. It's yes. This, some schools are literally toxic. But my point is, and again, to people who can't visualize the life in a Providence school, we're talking about one of the nicest campuses in Providence, right? Like, yeah. And this is like even the nicest campus in Providence is still not good enough yeah, even, for our students. Even our, my, like the school is, is bad. The pipes, I've seen like pipes literally leaking from there. There's been mousing all over the ceiling, literally a tile from the ceiling was falling down and they just left it like that for months on end. And some of the kids, they were genuinely waiting for it to fall. 
so that way the school could get in trouble for it because they left it there for months and there was just stuff falling from the ceiling man and not only that it's like when it's falling all the all like the dust and stuff from inside of the ceiling is falling down too so everybody's sick from inside of there and even when i went to gilbert i i couldn't go to school for like almost too much straight because of that whole problem like i don't know my body just wasn't used to all the mold and stuff like that so it made me like really sick but when you go to advocate for these kind of issues at the state house, you've got a friendly face underneath the Spider-Man mask waiting for you over there to help you out. So thank you very much. Good luck. I'm guessing PCTA? Yes. Okay. But it's a hobby. That's a career fair. You've got levels. Got what to do it. I'm, gonna I'm coming back. I'm coming you in the door. I do think every teacher across the state of Rhode Island should be paid a minimum of 65000 a year. Without question. First step teachers. First step is a teacher who's entering their first year. Uh, right now, for the most part, a lot of them start at under 48,000 a year. Y'all seen the price of rent, and seen the price of utilities. That is not a living wage, and one of the people will show you all that. Okay, uh, next question for Representative Morales. Stay with me. Um, I forgot. I, I had it in my mind for the entire time, and I want to say it before I forget but it had to deal with like, oh, what's the level of inappropriateness as accepted while I gave my testimony? Like, level. <laughs> like how many F-bombs can you drop? Like if I get extremely emotional to a point whether I cry or I swear, like I'm so passionate about this. Uh, Good question. This, this bill or this law that I wanted to be passed or wanted to get, get rid of. And I don't feel hers. Like how, what's the, what's the level of, uh, what's the level of, What's the level of inappropriateness that's accepted? So what's the level of passion that one can demonstrate yeah. before they get cut off, et cetera? So it always hurts to see, but we, more often than not, we have a lot of working models who will come in and share their story as to the difficulties they're facing to afford food, to afford utilities, the basic necessities for them and their children. And then they'll tear up during their, their testimony. And they're willing to be vulnerable with which I appreciate. And it's a lot because, right, you're going up to a group of strangers, many of which don't oftentimes don't look like you or share a similar socioeconomic background. So to make yourself vulnerable to that extent, I would say that I've been pleased to see how empathetic a lot of legislators have been. The question is, what do you do with that empathy, right? Do you actually apply it? Yeah. That's the second half of it. But I think at the bare minimum, it's not like you're crying, you'll get cut off and say, all right, we're moving on to the next witness. You don't have to worry about that. In terms of cursing in particular, you know, we've had, I can't really think of many instances where we've had like cursing take place at the state house within one's testimony. Um, more often than not, it's just a committee chair saying, hey, let's keep it appropriate because we are technically airing on public access television. So there are standards as to what could be aired on television. So would she be warned? Is that? Basically, yeah. In other words, you would be warned. Okay. Good to know. What if it's repeating? Like. At that point, your microphone would probably become disactivated and you would no longer be heard uh, via TV. And then that dude who I saw on a YouTube video who jumped the you know, person in court, that dude. Like, out of nowhere. Oh, my, 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 too soon, y'all. Too soon. He's did a runner. All right. Oh, yeah, my 2023 GOAT, when we were talking about that before. Do you remember the white chair people? The people with the white chair at the boat? Yes. Yeah. Race war that happened at the boat. Okay, that was funny. That chair is my goat of 2020. <laughs> what is your question for Representative Morales? Um, we're looking at creating a safer street. So I 
and say, ooh, well, I've got to talk about that. So North and Main Street, y'all probably heard it. There have been way more pedestrian accidents and deaths than should have ever taken place. Yeah. The issue becomes the lack of urgency from the Department of Transportation. We need to push them. Because the Department of Transportation's priorities for a very long time has been expanding highways. They should be the Department of Highways at this point. That's solely been their main focus. <laughs> you don't really see a lot of investments around race crosswalks. Decent sidewalks that someone using a wheelchair can actually go around the pedestrian streets. So there are a lot of questions as to what's the responsibility of the state in addition to the responsibilities of cities and towns. I think Providence can be a leader across the state when it comes to pedestrian safety, when it comes to being able to have infrastructure set up for bicycles, ensuring that we're less car dependent, we do more on public transportation. Again, that's the responsibility of the city. I think at the state level, what we can do is push cities and towns to invest more in local infrastructure so we don't have pedestrian deaths or injuries. Broad Street, I get very nervous crossing. Smith Street, I get very nervous crossing. North Main Street, those are like the three streets across the city where I'm like, yo, I do not want to cross. Me either, but my homie Matt Billings from the Children's Youth Cabinet, that dude will just walk across. You know why? Thinking this dude's a big white dude, right? Like, they're going to stop traffic. And he doesn't understand that I have to stop and wait because a car will hit me. A car will hit me. It's not the same. I don't have that. When you're in those streets, something prompted you to ask this question. What to you needs the greatest improvement on the streets? I don't know. I just be I be almost getting ran over every single time I cross around Providence Space Walk. Mm -hmm. I think this little um, they have like this little gap in the middle of the highway when you're crossing, and they never stop. Okay. How many of you have gone through the state house on like Smith Street? You've driven past it. We've seen the state house, right? Y'all ever notice we have like a really nice crosswalk for people to drive? Like if you go a little fast, like your car's gonna hit it. We should have that on every major street. Over the last five years, there's only been like one or two accidents in involving pedestrians, which is, again, still too much. But you compare that to the other streets we just talked about, so much lower because we have a whole speed hump slash raised crosswalk that there's a driver you can't ignore. Otherwise, say goodbye to your engine, right? I think... But thank you for asking that, though, because that does not get enough attention. What were you going to say? In my street, there has been like a huge amount of car accidents and as a way to fix that uh they put like every 10 feet or so they put like these uh speed bumps but they don't do much because like literally are they the ones that are like in gas like one deer one there and you could just buy like, them <laughs> yeah. yeah those are useless and inefficient yeah. and those uh car accidents keep on happening to the point where like i get scared to like cross street because literally during the summer, which is where July, 4th of July, especially, you know, everyone's drinking, driving around, fireworks, you know, it's uh, literally this summer, you know, I, I was like walking around and this car go is going 100 uh, miles per hour on a 20 mile per hour street and almost hit me. So... Yeah. We we want safety. Yeah. We want safety. Okay. Uh, Mid, you handled it because you went right into the spirit of the question. I was thinking a different context entirely. I was thinking like violence and stuff like that, but um, that was a good question. And 
Morales knew exactly what you meant. So apologies. Two of you were Steambox students before Steambox walked in the door at Young Voices. One of you started Steambox. One of you was one of the students who like was on the basement level of Steambox because of their engineering brilliance. And I actually did not pass the mic to her last time when we were interviewing Mr. Carl Bird. Yarissa, what's your question for State Rep Morales? Engineering brilliance is... She's a scientific genius. She is Peter Parker. She's Peter Parker without the responsibility. Well, snap it up for your Snap it up for the audience at home knows I'm between cherisher. Um, I think definitely one of the questions that I would want to ask is specifically around the supports for our students. Um, you know, a lot of students talk about how being in school that don't that don't feel supportive to them makes them not want to go, right? And in the age, I feel like from really decades conversation though isn't happening. But we're always talking about things like chronic absenteeism and wanting to make sure students become in space. Uh, I feel like engagement's a really big part of it. Um, so what at the state level is like in the works, or maybe if one has like kind of like what's the what's the vibe happening in the state house in order to create um, school environments, whether it be teacher diversity or um, you know having um, multilingual teachers or multilingual supports for students. Um, and anything like that really can help increase the diversity and also help support that engagement with the students. So that's a really good question that I think more often than not becomes a lot more complicated than it should be. Because the question is, as a student, when you walk into school, are there staff members that help you feel welcomed and motivated? And more often than not, we have a lot of students within Providence Public Schools and, quite frankly, across the urban core of Rhode Island. You can't really name that many staff members who give them that sense of motivation and support. And a lot of that, again, goes back to, do our educators reflect the backgrounds of our students? Do we have an adequate amount of social workers or behavioral specialists that are just available to be able to share a space with students? And more often than not, the answer is no. So when we talk about the need for additional investments in education, I believe very strongly that we need to focus first and foremost on the socio-emotional and behavioral health of our students. And I'm really concerned because this year, Providence Public Schools may be on the verge of laying off over 30 behavioral interventionists, social workers, and potentially psychologists which is the direct opposite of which, what we yeah. do. What we should be doing is investing significantly more so there's one social worker for every 200 students. Mm -hmm. So we have decent ratios in terms of behavioral specialists who are purposefully there to the point that they are going to support the students for their needs outside the classroom. And I, I said it before, but I don't think that's very complex because we have a lot of people in our community who would be ready to do that work if they're feed an adequate wage and don't have to go into deep debt to be able to get into a job like that. But we're not doing that in terms of recruitment or retention across our schools. And then the cities will say that they don't have enough money and that the state should reimburse them. I agree with A, the state should reimburse the cities more opportunities and funding to do that, but I also think it's a responsibility of cities as well to take that step to make those investments. So it hurts to think that this year we may be on the defense of just trying to make sure none of our social, emotional, behavioral staff get laid off, even though we should be more focused on 
adding and further investing across the state. Just before we hit record on this podcast, some of our students were speaking eloquently about the need for more support in that particular area in the schools. Some of them spoke specifically about consistency and how important that is. And coincidentally, for their sake, not because of this podcast, in front of me, I have a letter uh, that some members of the community, uh, Steambox, NAACP, uh, and a few other organizations, I can, I can list them later, put together. We, we held a symposium and we asked the community, what are the greatest things that we need? And we made smarty goals out of three areas for a list of demands for Commissioner Green, saying next year, we wanna see these three things, we need you to do that. And ensuring access to on-demand mental wellness support is one of them. We think it's important that every single day when my child goes to school, there is adequate support there for their mental well-being. And what we spoke about here was consistency. The fact that we can connect with them and it's the same person. I can count on it instead of a rotating group. I'll share this with you later. This was definitely not my point today. Before I get to the next question, Mr. Uh, I need you to I need you to put somebody in check for me. Uh, Mr. Victor from the Codex Prime podcast, uh, Carl's partner. When CM Punk came back to WWE, uh, if you guys don't know, CM Punk is a rabble rouser. Uh, Victor had all of the trash talk about CM Punk. What? Victor hates CM Punk. Um, he called them like cash mooching punk and all. And he came up with a million acronyms for what CM stands for. <laughs> Why is Victor wrong? Because CM Punk has drawn more attention back to the product than we had seen in years, both when he made his return to All Elite Wrestling and now his prominent return to World Wrestling Entertainment. So in other words, Punk is a net positive for the wrestling community. If you don't, there's some people at this table, right? Some people at this table said, we don't really know wrestling that much, right? If you don't know wrestling, that's okay. If you YouTube CM Punk pipe bomb, you're going to see this dude sit down crisscross applesauce on the top of the stage and tell everybody about themselves. His boss, his boss's daughter, her husband, his new doof, doofus or something like that. This, son, this dude goes off. He gives no Fs. So if you're talking about like not having the mic pulled from you, how far can you go? BCM Punk, check out the pipe bomb. Do a pipe bomb at the state house, not a literal pipe bomb for the record. <laughs> I'm talking, <laughs> but I dare you. Uh, what's your question for state rep Morales? Question is like, as a youth, well, I work in Iowa, University, but before I attend here, which is of uh, that's a 2020. And like one thing I learned about is like when it comes to like advocacy, like a lot of the times, it's really difficult for like students to want to continue early because like they'll testify to something like the thing in fact because they haven't seen it. Like my first thing is like, what can you tell students to like, how to give them more motivation to like continue trying to do this work and like for the ones that might feel frustrated that like that thing attained and like what can you tell them to like kind of just help either like push them or just to like motivate them to continue doing this work. So it's all first and foremost your advocacy cards. And there are going to be some issue areas that take longer to address, not because we don't have the solutions and they're not filled with merit, but because we still need to work on changing the leadership within the state or the city or wherever it is that you're at. But just the fact that you are continuously showing up 
makes a difference for that year, for that legislative session. The moment we start losing momentum or demonstrate to the power lawmakers that exist that they've taken our voice away from us, that becomes the excuse as to why we won't see reform or change. I think without question, we do need radical change. And I know our students want to see that radical change. And it's frustrating. Having been at the state house now for four years, longing for radical change within our school system, within our healthcare system, and within the housing stock. In those four years, we've only barely touched the tip of the iceberg. But it makes a difference that I, as an individual with this lived experience, am there. It makes a difference that young voices have showed up the last three years at the House Education Committee here. Because at times it also involves us as advocates having to have the burden and responsibility of having to educate other politicians, having to educate politicians, basically. It's why these issues are important. It's taken more than 10 years plus to draw attention to multilingual learners. It's for a very long time. Our politicians didn't know what the value of our immigrant students, our English language learners brought to the table. But now that all communities across the state are becoming more diverse and there are multilingual learners, whether you're at Providence, whether you are in Newport, whether you're in Bristol, it's becoming a lot more prominent and being seen a lot more as a priority. But a lot of that also has to do with the advocacy that happened five plus years ago, talking about multilingual education. So there's value. Even if it doesn't mean that the bill passes immediately, it helps set us up for future passage or for future investments that otherwise wouldn't be happening. We are working on a mental wellness initiative on May 4th. I hope you'll have an opportunity to join us. You were throwing fastballs today, so I'm going to come back to you for another question. I'm going to give you another shot. So before we wrap up, I'm wondering if uh, we could take a photo afterward. Would you have a moment to take a photo afterward? Would that be okay? And also, before I pass it off for those last two questions, can you tell us and our audience what Leobor is? why it protects us and we're so happy to have it. And if it's not something that's great for us, how the hell do we get rid of it? So thankfully we are one of 12 states in the entire country with the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights, otherwise known as Leobor. What's that? I will repeat that again. The Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights. So it likely means what you think it means. It means that as a police officer, you have special privileges and protections, even when it relates to police misconduct or brutality. Blah, blah. And the form that that takes is if you are found being accused of misconduct, you are taken to a panel board made up of other police officers. So not made up. Determine whether or not you... Not wrong. Not victims, not community leaders, not anyone from the community. Your peers. You're taken to a panel of your homies. <laughs> Imagine that y'all got sent to a panel of your friends anytime you out your life. Sweet, your friends are gonna agree with you. I always agree with y'all. I know, but we have a like, the same not worth such a Yeah. Huh. But in application, what has happened is we've had cases of police brutality where more often than not, it's been a young person of color, usually males of color, young men of color who are assaulted by police officers, sustained physical injuries, not to mention the, men the mental trauma and 
you would think, because we have some of this on video, that the police officers would naturally just be found guilty without much question, or they would be fired, released from their job, et cetera. What most often than not happens is they go on paid administrative leave. Takes a while before the legal board hearing happens. And when it does happen, it is determined that they were not in the wrong. And they're able to continue with their job. And that victim is stuck in a situation where they have to try to seek legal action from the city or the town. Let me ask if, when, when we were talking about school squad officers, the SROs, we know that students don't want it. We know that much of the community doesn't want it. I will say that some students do. They're a little more divided than we might think sometimes, especially younger students. But I also found uh, police going into like the elementary and middle schools and give, literally giving toys with the police stuff on it, like midget spinners and stuff like that. I have one because to me it was funny that they had like that they had propaganda for people. Uh, but usually by the time you get older, you see you see people that you go to school with being taken advantage of by a police officer. So. I understand that that's more divided. This is not more divided. The community, and I know because I spend a lot of time in the community and advocating for the community with other community leaders, the community does not want Leobor. Let me say that again. For the people in the back, the community does not want Leobor. So why can't our community representatives remove Leobor or make it inactive, disqualified, et cetera. So I said earlier, right? A lot of these issues aren't that complicated. I think if there are only about a dozen states who have these special privileges and protections, it probably makes sense to repeal it, especially if we've seen it harm people in our community. The reason it doesn't happen is, as I stated earlier, political interests, politics gets involved. Yeah, the police unions that come out in droves and convince the legislators that this would be a terrible idea and that they would be undermining public safety. And then you add that in terms of fear monitoring that happens. Politicians get scared of re-election, so they decide not to do anything. And so no changes happen. Is there anything that we can do? I, and I'm winding down. I've got four minutes of recording left. And I want to get to those two questions. Is there anything that we can do? I know I'll sound like a broken record, but A, I think it's important that we have a presence at these committee hearings. I think it's important that people in the community show up and really make it clear to legislators as to why is that we need a repeal. This protection that exists, I think rallies always help generate energy as well. Because even after a hearing, the question is, well, when's the bill going to move? Sometimes the bills don't move and they don't get a vote. And it's called being held for further study. Hey, but a way that you can get a bill out of further study is by continuing to rally even after the committee here. Whether that's a press conference, whether that's a youth-led rally, a protest, there are a lot more mechanisms that exist outside of formal hearings. Let David Morales know when you guys are going to advocate, he'll make sure that you guys don't get bumped down the schedule. Uh, these have to be really quick, but I wanted to make sure you would throw fastballs. I want to come back to you. You good? You sure? Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask, like, even after I make my testimony and the bill doesn't work or anything, what can I do to, to like, further advocate? And, like, yeah. yeah, you said further advocation, uh, but what does that look like? What does that mean? So it looks like taking collective action, and I'm saying collective action, I mean working with your friends, your peers, working with young voices, other youth-led groups to strategize what is next. Are we going to organize a rally, a protest, a press conference? Do we want to schedule a meeting with the chairperson who is responsible for getting the bill out of committee and 
give yourself an opportunity to hear directly from them what feedback they have on the bill. Can petitions work? Petitions as well. But I always think one of the best strategies is to schedule a meeting directly with those committee chairs. Have them tell you to your face why it is that the bill's not moving forward. I've got about two minutes left. I'm about to end it, but does anybody else have a burning question before we go? So my burning question is for our audience, where can they find you? You mentioned earlier, do another shout out for RWA and where we can find RWA, but also yourself. Do you want a uh, social media handle, anything like that? Of course. So in terms of the Renegade Wrestling Alliance, we are at the RWA forever on Facebook, on the Twitter, and on Instagram. How you mean X? I will continue to call it. <laughs> of course, I was expecting someone to say that. And in terms of myself, so again, my name is David Morales. I've now been in the legislature for the last four years. Hard to believe that I am now 25, but this is where we are. You can catch me on all realms of social media at David Morales RI. Similarly, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where I like to post and share legislative updates as to what's happening at the state house, what's happening at city hall, and most importantly, be able to share information as to how you can get involved. One serious campaign I'm working on this year, making sure we save RIPTA because they are on the verge of having service cuts that can lead to less bus services and we need to do everything we can to preserve it. So why, why wouldn't you give them the dignity of their actual name? What about your hero, Elon Musk? Isn't he gonna be upset about this? Uh, I can care less what uh, Mr. Musk says and or thinks. This has been another podcast from Young Voices. We're going to see you again next month for our Mangu con Salami special. We will see you then. Young Voices, please make some noise. Thank you, Mr. Morales. Peace.